0: Everybody. it's good to be in God's house amen Man, I thought I would have a few more I said it's good to be in God's house amen praise the Lord praise the Lord amen all my life he has been faithful amen and I love that verse Psalm 23 and 6 that says surely goodness and mercy shall follow me and if you look at that word it means to pursue amen goodness and mercy shall pursue me who am I that it would pursue me? But it pursues you, and it pursues me all the days of our life. Amen, amen, amen. It's good to be in God's house this morning. And uh, I do have to admit, I don't know why, but I guess my throat hates me this morning, and so it's not wanting to work with me. So if you'll just help me preach this morning, in the name of Jesus, amen. I believe that we can have a move of God, and God can do something wonderful in His house this morning. Amen. Psalm 84 is where we will be reading from. In verse number 10, I give honor to Jesus Christ. Amen. I believe that that is appropriate. We're in his house, and so I want to give him honor, and I want to say thank you to my pastor for giving me the opportunity to preach behind this great pulpit and before you this morning. I honor him, and I honor my bishop. And Psalm 84 and 10 says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand, To really put some emphasis on that, some have added the word elsewhere after that word thousand. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And he says, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Amen. For a few moments here this morning, I want to preach on this. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Amen. I would rather be a doorkeeper. If you would help me pray. Lord, help us, touch us in this house, God. Let your anointing, God, be all over us, God. Help us to preach with the preacher, God. Let your anointing fall on this place. Let your glory be here. We worship you, God. We will be careful to give you the praise and glory and honor, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you are seated here this morning. Amen, amen. In your Bible for many of the Psalms. Uh, it is the book of psalm, but you will find individual psalms in it. Uh, your Bible will give you a title uh, besides just that particular chapter number of that psalm. It will also uh, be in a different sized font, and it gives you a little bit of a backstory uh, For many of these psalms, you can see this, and it tells you sometimes who it was even written by. Uh, for Psalm 84, it says, To the chief musician upon Giddith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. But if you look into it, it really means a psalm of the sons of Korah. It was it was by and it was written by, I mean, the sons of Korah. And at the time that it was written, it was most likely not Korah's literal sons. It was probably referring to generations that had come and gone. And so in this psalm that is written by these sons of Korah, why am I trying to make that clear this morning? Why does it matter who wrote it? I think it is important to understand who wrote it because there is a name that is attached. They were sons of Korah. Well, who is Korah and why does he matter? Korah is perhaps one of the most uh, infamous at being rebellious in the Bible. Korah in Numbers chapter 16 was the man. He took up two other men. And these this trio, they brought up 250 princes. The Bible says that they were men of renown. That they were famous in their congregation. And he brings them up, and he brings them before Moses and Aaron. And he says that you guys are doing it wrong, and I don't believe that you should be in charge of God's people. And God, in a short short sentence, God takes care of them. To elaborate on that a little bit more, these men come before Moses and Aaron, and Moses and Aaron go before God, and they bring their plea before God, and God says, I'll take care of it. And so they go back, and now they are in these discussions. And Moses tells them, if you are around a and the other men's names were Abiram and Dathan. If you are around them and you don't want to die, basically, if I could put it short, then you need to get out of the way because something is about to happen. And he says before everybody, he says, if you are going to die a natural birth or a natural death, excuse me, if you are going to die a natural death, then I will be the one that is in the wrong. But if God does something miraculous and supernatural in this moment and you die right now, then we will all know that I am where God has put me, and I am rightfully in the place that God has put me. And as soon as Moses finishes that statement, the earth opens up and it swallows these men, and it swallows uh, their families, and it swallows other things, their possessions. And these 250 men that were men of, of renown, and they were princes, and they were famous in the congregation, there is fire that falls upon them because they are destroyed because they were trying to go up against the man of God. But apparently there were some grandsons or maybe there were some really young sons of Korah that that were not included in this decision to rebel against Moses. I don't know where they came from, but the premier Bible says that his lineage served faithfully in the house of God, at least through the reigns of David and Solomon and Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and Josiah. Why is it important to bring all of this up? It's important because the author of this psalm was proclaiming. That I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Why is that important? Because their father or their grandfather or great-grandfather a long time ago tried to buck up against the ministry and say that you are doing it wrong. But they inside of themselves said, I will do whatever it takes. Pastor, you put me as a doorkeeper. Pastor, you put me as somebody that's going to clean the toilets. I don't care. I just want to be found in the house of the most high God. <laughs> Hallelujah. They were proclaiming to a later generation that we don't have to follow a certain way just because that's what a family member did back then. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. You can live your own life, amen. Hallelujah, the anointing of Jesus Christ can break the bondage and it can break the chains of generations that did not live for God and that were addicted to alcohol and addicted to drugs and you can come into the house of God and you can make a decision for yourself that I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That ought to make you excited because you can do it. Hallelujah. I said you can do it. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He was trying to instill that even if those that came before me did not value authority, I will. That even if those that came before me did not value the house of God, that I will. That if even if those before me didn't recognize that there is a sweet presence of God, when you begin to worship and when you begin to thank the King of kings and Lord of lords for just being in his house, I still will do that. Hallelujah, hallelujah. He said in verse 1, how amiable or how lovely are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts, there was a love and there was an adoration for the house of God and for the things of God. In verse two, he says, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. I don't know about you, church, but I've fallen in love with the house of God. Oh, it's a place that I want to be. It's a place that I can find refuge, and I can find safety, and I have found peace, and I have found joy in my moments of despair and in my moments of sorrow. And when it feels like I'm all alone, I have found a place that I can call home. I have found a place that I can find freedom. Hallelujah. Amen. It makes me sad when I cannot make it to the house of God. And it always seems to be this way, that when you miss, that is the best church service of that year. I don't know what happened. It's like, God, I've been faithful. I've been, I've been ready. I've been waiting to see this. And you missed one Sunday night, and 45 people got baptized, and 32 got the Holy Ghost. And we had people coming in, and they were trying to break down the doors. It's like, what in the world? I put into this thing, too, a little bit, God. Man, I want to be here. You never know You never know what you're going to miss if you, if you just miss one service. That's why it's always important, Pastor, every single service you have to push. Every single service you got to push a little bit more and push a little bit more because I want to see some great things of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to a dead church. I don't know about you, but I want to come to a place where people believe in the power of the most high God, where people worship and people dance because he's been great. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Church is the priority. I don't schedule church around work and school and extracurricular activities, but I schedule those things around the things of the church. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I said I schedule those things around the things of the church. I found out that you'll get a little bit more blessed if you make God's things the priority in your life. If you start missing church for every every little reason, every birthday party, every function, there's going to be some things that you miss. But if you make it up in your mind and in your life and in your family, then I'm going to make this the most important thing. Oh, I'm going to see blessings in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was having a conversation actually just yesterday with some of my friends and we were discussing the possibility of moving. How do people even really and I'm I'm not trying to get myself in trouble. I'm not your pastor. I'm just saying for me. This is a conversation that always If it ever comes up, these two points are always in the conversation. If I were ever to move, what about my church and what about my family? I don't want to just disregard those things. Those two things, they've raised me. I mean, their their imprint has been on my life. It doesn't matter if you've only been here for a year or two. Those things, that that the church of, of God and the family of God, their fingerprints have been on your life. Amen. I don't want to just disregard those things. Church is my life. Amen. It's important for me to be here. If you really love something, then you will make the time for it. Hallelujah. If you really have a deep down desire for those things, you will make time for it. My desire and my goal is to make it a priority. It's here in this church that I was dedicated. I'm just going to give you a little personal testimony. It was here in this church that I was baptized, right there. It was here in this church. Right there where I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I went to school here. And I've worked here. I understand that's not everybody's testimony. But I want it to be the central part of my life. I want the house of God and the things of God to be at the forefront of my mind. That when I'm making other decisions and when I'm making career choices. And when I'm trying to figure out where I want to live. I want to make sure that I'm close to the house of God. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness. When they were wandering around. And they had disobeyed God, and God is making this big, long trick. You know what they would do? They would put the tabernacle in the centermost part of the camp. And there's 12 tribes, so four sides. There were three tribes on each side. Sounds like a riddle. There's three tribes on each side, north, east, south, west. Never eat soggy waffles. I got it right. There was three tribes on each side, and it was because in the center of everybody, in the center of everything that they did, When they woke up in the morning, it was the center. Oh, that's good. When they woke up in the morning, it was the center of the things that they were focused on. All throughout the day, it was the center of what they were focused on. At the evening time, it was the center. They wanted it to be a focal point. Amen. I don't want church to just be a Sunday morning, Sunday night kind of thing. I want it to be an every single day thing. Amen. That the values and the beliefs of the church are what I'm holding on to. Verse 3 says, Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Amen. Can I just say that the church is a place that you can call home. Amen. The church is a place that you can raise a family. The church is a place. It's not just some hospital that you come in and then you leave and you walk out and you never come see it again. But this is a place that you can dig your roots in. And you can say through thick and thin and through the good times and the bad times, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be faithful. Hallelujah. Verse 4, he says, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee. Salah. He will still be praising thee. He's talking about priests that live. in in a very close proximity to the tabernacle. And he's saying that they have the opportunity to still be praising God. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. Amen. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. This verse number six, it says, who passing through the valley of Baca. Some commentators, they don't, from what I've read, they don't really, or they're not really able to pinpoint exactly what this means, this word baka. They've talked about a lot of different things. They've said that it's a valley of weeping, or that it's a valley of tears, or that it's a thirsty valley. It's, it's somewhere in some arid environment where water is not uh, easily available. But regardless, the psalmist is saying that the house of God and the goodness of God is what allows you to, even in the valleys, to still find a well. Amen, that even when you're going through those dry spells and even when you're going through those harsh and difficult times, you can still find a place that is a well. You can still find a place that is a spring. Amen, I don't know if anybody can testify, but sometimes when you're out there in the world, there's all this muck and all this mire that gets a hold of you. And when you come into the house of God, you have the ability to shake it all off. And you can come to your senses. And there is a godly peace and a godly joy because you found the house of the Lord. Amen. The rain also filleth the pools. Amen. That word Baca, if it does mean weeping, it can. If you read it this way, who passing through the valley of Baca or weeping, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. That word the pools, pools means prosperity or it means blessing. Amen. So you can go from weeping and mourning and tears and being thirsty and hungry to having a blessing. Amen, and to be living in prosperity. Amen. Probably won't surprise you, but musicians, please come. Praise God. Oh, Lord of hosts, verse number 8, and singers too, please. (laughs) Don't delay. You guys know the drill. Don't, Don't get shy on me now. Oh, praise God. It's every time. Oh, Lord God of hosts. Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Salah. Amen. He hears your prayers. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. And we get where? Actually, I'm going to come back to that. Verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Verse number 10. If you would put it up there, please. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand a single day i know i know we talk about this all the time but let's just think about it for a second a single day is better than a thousand other days than a thousand other days that's over i don't know i'm not good at math but it's over 2 years right over 2 years spent somewhere else right and he said a single day of being in the in the house of god that seems kind of crazy until you come to church here and you can feel the blessings of God and you can feel the anointing of God and you can feel the peace of God. Because then you understand this is, oh hallelujah, this is what I can feel even though I've gone through all those days of hardship. Even though I've gone through all those days of difficulty, I can be found here. Amen. And then I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Amen. What a statement. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. That word doorkeeper means threshold, to wait at the threshold. I'd rather wait at the threshold. I'd rather wait at those back doors than to be dwelling and living and and being entertained by the tents of wickedness. I'd rather not even be able to come all the way in. I'd rather not to to be able to enjoy all of those blessings that we know and that we love and that we enjoy every time we come into the house of God than to be somebody, to be somebody important in the tents of wickedness. Amen. Label me a doorkeeper. I don't care. I would rather be a doorkeeper. I would rather be a doorkeeper than somebody else out in the world that has all, all kinds of importance, quote, unquote. Oh, I would rather be somebody that is a doorkeeper. Amen. The tabernacle was taken care of by the Levites. When it was needing to be moved, be taken down and reassembled, the service of the tabernacle, this is what the Levites were for. God has chosen them. And Levi had three sons, Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. All three of these sons and their families had specific duties concerning the tabernacle of God. The Gershonites were responsible for the care and tabernacle of the tent, its coverings, the curtains, and the robes. The Merarites were appointed to take care of the frames of the tabernacles. Its crossbars, its posts, its bases, and all of the equipment. Listen, the Kohathites, this is where where, uh, Korah comes from. The Kohathites were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the curtain, and everything related to their use. Korah is the grandson of this of, of Kohath, which is the son of Levi. And Korah's problem with all of this, these other two, Merari, Gershon, they were able to load everything up in, in, in almost, if I could just say it simply, in a wheelbarrow, and they could roll, They it was easy to move their stuff. You get what I'm trying to say? Spit it out, eventually. Okay, but the Kohathites, they had it difficult. Because it was not just the frame And it wasn't just the post It wasn't just the ropes These are really important things Not that those other things weren't But it doesn't matter if you have a gate If you don't have a tabernacle And so they're taking care of the lamp And they're taking care of of the table of showbread They're taking care of all of these furnishings And they have to wrap them in a special cloth From what I understand And they cannot just let some things roll They have to carry everything And so this is a difficult thing If you read in the Bible, it talks about how God would just, (laughs) they're in the wilderness, and God would just pick up and go, right, he was either a pillar of fire, he was a cloud, and that's how they identified him, and wherever that was resting in the wilderness, that's where the tabernacle went, everybody else was surrounded by that, and so sometimes, the Bible says it was a day, sometimes it was a month, sometimes it was a year, sometimes you got all comfy, sometimes you just laid stuff down, And so he's getting bitter about that because he's got to pick everything up. And here we go again. And oh, my goodness. And and all this other stuff. And he gets bitter about it. And he lets it start to eat on him. And it starts to take control of him. And bitterness is is this prevailing thing in Korah's life. And then he finds other people that are also dissatisfied about the things that are going on. And and they don't think that Moses is worthy of this calling. And they don't think that he he should be accepted as this great leader. And so here they are. They're carrying everything. And once again, here we are. And they've got to set everything down and pick everything back up. And so he was getting dissatisfied and he was getting bitter. But the sons said, or the grandsons, whoever that lineage was when they wrote this, they said, I don't care. You sign me up for whatever you got. Moses, you signed me up for whatever it is. I don't care if it's some menial thing. I don't care if anybody will ever know what I am doing for the kingdom of God. I don't care if anybody will ever shout my name and say, thank you, brother, and thank you, sister, for doing that. Oh, man, where would we be without you? No, they said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Let me be on the threshold of glory. Let me be on the threshold of anointing, and let me stay there. Oh, I'll be faithful, pastor. I'll be faithful to what you have requested. I know there's no glory in it. I know there's no recognition in it, but I'm willing to be what God has called me to be as we stand this morning. Is that your prayer? I don't have to be recognized. As the singer. sing, I don't have to be recognized. I don't have to be noticed. God, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be somebody, God, that is faithful in your kingdom. So my life you have it. It's the least that I can do. Oh, my life, you have the least that I can do for every miracle. Oh, God, for every breaking of the chain. For every healing, God, for every deliverance, God. Oh, it's the least that I can do. God, you're so worthy.